Our Father, we do feel as we are, as if we are a people of triumph. We are a people who have found victory over that which so troubled us, our own record, our own performance, our own choices and behavior. It was that which has been swallowed up in the great work of Jesus Christ, a work that was, that was thought of and executed by a, a God who is immense in his grace, a God who has determined to save a people. And we, of course, O oh God, rejoice that we are a part of that number, a part of that people who have been purchased with a price. We are a blood-bought folk, and we pray, O oh God, that as such we would recognize that we do not belong to ourselves. We belong to another, the crucified, resurrected, ascended, seated, reigning Jesus Christ. And so, Father, now, as we come to... Um, Fix our attention on the word of Christ and the sacrament that portrays the work of Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit, lead us into the depths of both. Accept our gifts, use them to honor the King, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Take your Bibles, if you will, and open them to the 26th chapter of the book of Acts. Acts 26. You follow as I read, beginning at verse 24, we'll read through verse 29. Acts 26, at 24. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Don't you hate to be lied to? Um, as a parent, don't you hate it when your children lie to you? I'm sure glad that uh, I never lied to my parents. Um, when you're buying a car, don't you hate it when you discover that you've been lied to? Uh, when you're in a serious dating relationship, don't you just hate it when you discover that he or she is lying to you. Lies are ugly. We hate them. At least I do. And yet we tell them. But we still hate them. The opposite of lies, or a lie, is, of course, 
the truth. So if we hate lies, doesn't it make sense that we would love the truth? Do we love truth? Let's find out. I want to read you a quote, one of my, one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite heroes. Here's the quote. Since your imperial majesty and lordships demand a simple answer, I will do so without horns or teeth as follows. Unless I am convicted by the testimony of scripture or by evident reason, for I trust neither in popes nor in councils alone, since it is obvious that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am convicted by the scripture, which I have mentioned, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. Therefore, I cannot and I will not recant, since it is neither right nor safe to do anything against one's conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Does that move you? Not really. Well, perhaps if I told you a little bit more about the story. Uh, That, of course, is a quote from Martin Luther. It took place uh, at the Diet of Verms. Verms is spelled W-R-M-S, like worms. It's a city in Germany. And the Diet has nothing to do with Atkins. Uh, A Diet is a meeting of a legislative body. So in April of 1521, Luther was asked to appear before this legislative body, and it was demanded of him by the Holy Roman Emperor, Charles V, it was demanded that he recant of his theological positions. Now, does that move you? Not really? (laughs) Well, how about this? Did you know that that statement that I just read you came on day two of that meeting? Did you know that? Day one, which of course precedes day two, day one consisted of this. Martin Luther was dragged before this group of uh, all of the known temporal powers of that day. Uh, He was being tried by the famous lawyer, Eck, E-C-K. His books were spread out on a table in front of him. He was asked two questions. Question number one, are these your books? Yep, they're my books. Are you willing to recant of the contents of those books? At that point, Luther asked for some time to consider and pray and think and, and, and wrestle with what they had just presented him. And he was granted some time. In fact, he was given until the next day. Here's my point. Gang, what kinds of fears do you think tormented Luther... In those next 24 hours, what do you think went through his mind? I'm about to be defrocked. I'm not going to have a, a friend in the world. They might hang me or worse. They might, uh, they might burn me at the stake like they did John Huss. How many hours, does, how much sleep do you think Luther got that night? Um, in, in that little room where he was being kept under house arrest, what kinds of demons do you think he wrestled with as he, um, as he tried to figure out how he was going to reply to this, this, this insistence that he, that he recant of what he believed? After 24 hours of that kind of torment, 
wrestling with um, overwhelming fears, fears that were simply made worse by the whisperings of the devil himself, Luther returns on day two, takes his position on center stage, and he says this, Since your imperial majesty and lordships demand a simple answer, I will do so without horns or teeth as follows. Unless I am convicted by the testimony of scripture or by evident reason, for I trust neither in popes nor in councils alone, since it is obvious that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am convicted by the scriptures, which I mentioned, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. Therefore, I cannot and I will not recant since it is neither right nor safe to do anything against one's conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Now, did that move you? Am I getting warmer? I I, I bet I am. Because I I think all of us know what it is to face and deal with fears. Fears over our job, fears over our health, fears over our future, fears over even life. Most of us, I think, have been in situations where we, because the situation was so terribly complex, that we have been faced with fears, lots of them. Um, and the, the choices that were, that were available to us, none of them were particularly good. We didn't like, the, the, I mean, the situation was so complex, we didn't like the, the horns of the dilemma on which we found ourselves impaled. And then to overcome fears like those, and far worse than those, and then to come back onto center stage, And to say something like that, here I stand. I can do no other. I will not. I shall not. I'll never recant. Here I stand. Wow. Guys, what is it you think that that made Martin Luther take the stand that he took? Very simply, pretty easy. It was truth. He felt like he was in possession of truth. What he taught, what he preached, what he had written in those books that were on the table, they were truth. And because he felt so confident that he held on to truth, that in turn gave rise to this this courage, this confidence, this, this boldness. Where do, where do those things come from, ladies and gentlemen? They come from truth. So to, so to go against what I believe to be the truth is neither wise nor safe. Because as you know, it's not good to violate one's own conscience. For me to do that would be to rob myself of, of dignity and even sanity. So I, um, I take a stand. Hollywood was impressed. Hollywood made a movie of that. It's beautiful, don't you think? um, Don't you think that somebody who wrestles with that kind of fear and and it's truth that brings him through it and he takes that kind of stand, don't you think that's beautiful? I do. 
Gang, the story that I read you of Paul's life out of Acts chapter 26 is in a lot of ways similar to Luther's situation. Paul was a prisoner. He was being held as uh, under Roman guard. Uh, he was um, asked to defend himself. He was brought into a basically a courtroom setting where two men uh, wanted to listen to him defend himself. And those two men, uh, should they choose to do so, had the power to take those shackles off of him and set him free. Or they had the power to, um, uh, to take his head off, which is what Herod's dad did to John the Baptist. And yet, what do you see in this little incident in Acts 26? What do you see Paul doing? You see a man at full throttle. You see no backing down, no pulling punches, no stuttering, no fears. It's kind of a Martin Luther-like courage. Why? How? Where does that come from? He told you. He told you in verse 25. But I speak the words... Of truth. Gang, once again, it's truth that um, allows Paul to rise above all his fears. And to me, and I think to many of you, that's beautiful. That's the kind of man I want to be. Most of us are attracted to to that kind of certainty. That's the kind of men we want to follow. Paul, Luther... Somebody in possession of truth and is courageous enough to stand on it. Now, there, there is one other thing that I, that there's one other dimension of beauty that I want you to see in this text. I, didn't, I don't want you to miss this part. And, and it, the, the, it, it occurs in the exchange of verses 28 and 29. 28 is where Paul is giving his testimony. He is he is preaching to these two men, and, and uh, he's interrupted by Herod Agrippa. And uh, in verse 29, excuse me, 28, Herod Agrippa says, Oh, wait, 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 oh, oh, hold on a minute, buddy. Wait, just uh, Paul. <laughs> Slow down, Paul. <laughs> Paul, Paul, you know what? You know what, Paul? Almost, <laughs> Paul, almost thou persuadest me. <laughs> I mean, almost thou persuadest me to be a believer. That's not the beautiful part. The beautiful part's in verse 29. When Paul says, I would to God. Now, just for the sake of fun, how do you think Paul said that? You know, Herod Agrippa interrupts him and says, Oh, whoa, 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 slow down there, buster. <laughs> I mean, uh, almost thou persuadest me. How do you think Paul uh, said that next sentence? He said, Well, I would to God that you indeed would become as I. Or do you think he bent over at the waist and caught Herod in the back of his retinas and said, I would to God. Can you see the the fire in his eyes? Can you hear the passion in his voice? A passion for someone as wicked as that scoundrel Herod? And then you throw in that Roman reprobate Festus. And I'm saying, that's beautiful. What I I mean by beautiful, ladies and gentlemen, is this. I I think most of us agree that courage is something that we think is beautiful. But gang, 
there's something else here. Um, what you see here is, is the truth giving rise, not simply to courage. Truth produces something else. It produces a tenderness for a lost man, or at least two of them, and whoever else is in the room. No matter how wicked they were. I would to God, Herod. Herod? You mean the grandson of the one who killed all the two-year-olds in Bethlehem? You mean the, the son of the one who had John the Baptist beheaded? You mean Herod... The, the notorious public tyrant, murderer, and adulterer, that one? Yeah, that one. I would to God, Herod, that you would embrace the same Christ I embrace, knowing, Herod, just how rotten your soul is. But it's rotten, Herod, because you believe a lie. You believe the same one that I used to believe. Here's my point, ladies and gentlemen. Truth not only makes you courageous. Truth makes you a lover. It doesn't make you a despiser of wicked men. It makes you a lover of wicked men. Truth makes us more tender towards unbelievers, not less. Truth doesn't make us stubborn. It it makes us tender-hearted. Truth doesn't call us to retreat to some enclave. Some religious holy huddle. Truth is the stuff that convinces us just how pitiable is the situation of people who believe in a lie. Gang, the beautiful thing about truth is that it produces courage, yes. But the other thing is that it is truth that transforms the worst of us. Truth is something that can turn somebody as bad as... Me into a different person. Guys, I'm tender toward rotten-hearted men because I used to be a rotten-hearted man. And not anymore. Not after the sovereign God opened my eyes to see the truth. Guys, ever since I came back from Hungary, I've been pleading with you about a Pauline ministry. His ministry was marked with a courage that allowed him to rise above all of his fears. And it's also marked with a tenderness towards lost men. Even somebody as wicked as Herod. No matter how wicked they were, there was a tenderness in Paul about wicked men. Now... Is our ministry marked with those things? Courage? Tenderness towards wicked men, no matter how wicked they are? I would love to say yes. But I think no is probably more true. And if that's true, that is, if I'm right in my no, then I want to offer you a piece of diagnosis Here's the reason why, I think. Because down deep, down deep in our souls, ladies and gentlemen, we're not really sure that what we believe is the truth. We admire truth. We hate lies. 
but we're not real sure that we got it. Maybe a truth, but that's about as far as I'm willing to go. So leave those Mormons alone. Don't bother those Hindus. Kobe Bryant is too far gone. Homosexuals, forget them. Liberals, write them off. Those, um, those Herods of the world, too bad. Guys, the point I'm making is, don't you see that it, it was truth, what it did to Paul. Our, our shyness, which is verging on embarrassment, that is our embarrassment of our message, our, our slowness to take the gospel outside of this building is largely due, I think, to the fact that we're not real confident in the message that we have. We're not yet ready to say that Christianity is not a truth, but the truth. Um, is Jesus a way or the way? Um, do, do I really believe that the only way to come to the Father is through Jesus? Uh, do, do I really believe that I have in my possession a message that all men need? Do you? Because I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm making this suggestion, this observation growing out of this text, that if I had truth the way Paul had truth, I would look more like Paul. And until we get there, that is, confident of the truth, don't expect to have much boldness. And don't expect to have much of a burden for lost men. So is truth something you love? Or will you settle for half of it? I'm going to leave you this morning with four challenges, ladies and gentlemen. Four challenges. Here's number one. In terms of your own relationship with God, are you persuaded or are you almost persuaded? You know, that's pretty scary. It's scary that even the category of almost persuaded even exists. I don't know who's in it, who's not in it. I simply know that there is a category, a religious category of the almost persuaded. Herod was in it. What am I in it? That's the last place I want to be. I don't want to spend an eternity with Herod and Agrippa. Okay, then my friend, if you think that that's the category that you're in, then you must do something about that now. Go to God, tell him you're tired of being almost persuaded. You know, in John Bunyan's great work, Pilgrim's Progress, there is a, there's a, he has a, a, a character in there, and the, the character's name is this, Mr. Facing Both Ways. <laughs> Isn't that descriptive? Mr. Facing Both Ways. Is that who you are? Mr. Facing Both Ways? Oh, my friends, it's time to face one way. Walk out of that almost crowd. Walk out before it's too late, my friend. You, um, you know what will take you out of that crowd? True. That's my first challenge. Secondly, 
You know those suicide bombers on the streets of Jerusalem? You know all those suicide bombers in Gaza City? They may be right. I mean, what makes you think they aren't? What makes you think you are? One thing you can say for a suicide bomber, he's convinced he's got the truth. Does he? Oh, of course not. How do you know? Well, uh, Dr. Young told me. Do you mean to tell me that you are willing to stake your eternity on something that was taught by a wretch like me? Whoa. Gang, only you decide what you believe. And in light of eternity, I would suggest that you might want to spend some time nailing down what you believe to be true truth. I think you would enjoy the process more than you know. And it is arriving in a place of confidence in what you believe. If you want, we'll be glad to assist you. We'd love to help you in this process of nailing down what it is that you believe. You want a plan? I'll give you a plan. Call me. And I'm not trying to hide or conceal the fact that it's going to require some effort and time on your part. But the payoff, the payoff is courage. The payoff is a tender heart towards lost men. I think that's something that many of us want. Here's my third challenge. Gang, one thing that we can all do is pray that God will see fit to use a ministry like this to reach people who have some pretty rotten hearts. Get to praying. We all can do that. Gang, um, I want to say also that the burden that you take to God in prayer is a derivative of how much you believe that you have the only way to God. Or we can leave the Mormons alone. We can let just those liberals just get their comeuppance. We can make a list of some people and begin to plead with God that he'll use us to reach them. That's my third challenge. Here's my fourth and final. You know, the confidence that you see in Paul, I, I love that statement in verse 29 when he says, I would to God, Aaron. That kind of confidence today is called arrogance. It's called intolerance. It's called narrow-mindedness because we were all taught that truth in religion is just not available. Really. Well, gang, I want to suggest to you that the problem is not the paucity of truth available. The problem is the hypocrisy of the search. Most men are looking for truth like a bank robber is looking for a cop. Gang, here's a principle for you. Intent precedes content. Do you want to know it? 
Do you want to you, you have a grasp of what is the truth? Then I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, on the authority of God's word, an honest, diligent search for truth is always rewarded. Get going. Or, you can just wait on me to tell you what the truth is. I, I, I wouldn't do that if I was you. I know me. Gang, I want to go back to my opening questions. Don't you hate lies? Does that mean that we love truth? Well, that's what I'm asking. Is truth something you love? Because if you do, and if you got it, it's going to turn us into people of confidence and courage. And people with a tender heart towards the wickedest of Here's what I want to say. Here's what I want us to say in unison. Here I stand. I can do no other. Does that move you? Our Father, I do pray now that you will stir our slumbering hearts as we, as we head to the table to remember the one who claimed to be incarnate truth. We come to meet him, O oh God. We come to have him minister grace to our souls. And so we ask, Heavenly Father, that as we gather around these common elements, that, that our souls will be caught up into something completely uncommon. That we'll be caught up into that which is eternal and heavenly and spiritual as we seek to feast upon the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.